Good morning. This is Tom Clark with the Father's Heart Media and Papa Tom's Tales. I have a special guest with me today named Steve Heimbischner from all the way out in Billings, Montana, wherever the heck that is. <laughs> and we're thankful, Steve, to be here because we've had an opportunity to discuss things together. And it's amazing the overlap of the thoughts that come from two different parts of the country and two different uh, hearts and minds about what God's doing. Uh, Steve is the author of the book, Called to Be Men, and uh, we would like to share today uh, the hearts, uh, his experiences and my experiences, with the heart of God the Father operating through men. He's a man, I'm a man, obviously. We're both fathers and grandfathers, and uh, we look forward to this opportunity to share what God has done uh, in his life and my life and our families and how we, he's God the Father has opened up our minds to the things that are greatly needed in men today particularly helping men overcome fears. Now, whether you're a man or a woman listening to this uh, podcast, you know if you are a man, it applies to you. And if uh, you're a father, it certainly applies to you. If you're a woman and you have men in your family, like men, brothers, or or sons, this is, uh, this is going to be for them to help them overcome uh, so much fear that the enemy has put into their lives that's really... Uh, truncated them and, and and limited them from growing from men to being into fathers. So uh, the takeaways from today, I'm sure you'll find from the stories that we have to relate, uh, experiences that God has brought into both Steve's life and my life that uh, have affected our lives in a tremendously powerful way. And we would like to impart to our audience um, what that, uh, how that has affected our lives and affected our families and affected our children in a tremendously positive way. Um, I have actually have two hats that I showed uh, Steve. I think he's got to get them. One is uh, make God father again. The other one is make men fathers again. And uh, he's got a hat too that says uh, called to be men. Also remember in Papa Tom's Tales, I have now two books out. Uh, each book dealing with the fear a child is likely to have. The first book deals with identity which is um, The Boy Who Found His Name. And the second book is Luke the Light Bearer Defeats the Spirit of Confusion. And uh, Steve's book is Called to Be Men. And we're going to actually give you a uh, understanding of why someone would want to, first of all, read that book and maybe even more, hopefully even more, uh, want to attend some instruction that Steve's been giving. Because we find a lot of men, because of fear, are out of the stadium, as we might say. And we want to bring them out of the, from the, out of the stadium into the stadium, into the dugout, and get them up to the batter's box. So that they can uh, live their lives and enjoy uh, the freedom of being the men that God has called them to be. So with that in mind, Steve, give us a... Actually, Steve, for one second, before I introduce you, let's pray for a moment. Amen. Father God, I thank you so much for... Uh, allowing my journey through this earth and Steve's journey through this earth to intersect, that we might be of two like-minded people, Lord God. Uh, it says in your word that if two or more agree that that will be done by my Father in heaven. And so, Father, that scripture was revealed to me that if I receive something from heaven and Steve receives something from heaven and we talk to each other and we agree that God showed that to us, that that's what God's going to do. So we pray, Father, for that to happen and to be implemented today in this podcast. And I pray this in the mighty name of Yeshua Elohim. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Amen.
Share with the audience about yourself. Amen. First of all, I just want to thank you. What a privilege and honor that I counted to be to be on the podcast with you today. And we just met each other just briefly. But it was amazing how fast uh, the Father put our hearts together, how they how we knit us together. And the commonality that we have was so much of the foundation of understanding the purpose of a father's heart and what is missing today in our culture. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd, I'd grown up on a far, family farm, and, and uh, we were one of the largest dairies in, in Montana, and I learned how to work hard. We started milking at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I learned how to work hard. That was one of my attributes. And my dad was great. We worked together side by side every single day, and I uh, loved my dad with all my heart. Uh, but some of the things that I didn't know was uh, just about how um, how to be a man. How uh, because in a culture we grew up virtually with no girls. I have no sisters, and my mom was in the house all the time. I was outside, didn't know you know really what to do about being a man. And later on, and uh, after having three girls, uh, my first wife died of cancer. I got remarried, and then we had a son by the name of Matthew. And mm -hmm. um, about when Matthew was about four years old, and we've been in ministry for almost 25 years. I was a, a chaplain at, a, at the rescue mission for 18 years, a chaplain for a motorcycle ministry, um, did road with some of the outlaws for a, a, quite a while about 12 years and so got to see a lot of things there but one of the things that it was desire of my heart was ministry how to how to lead people to the father mm -hmm. and that's always been and i'm evangelist at heart and want to bring people to him but one day after coming into understanding biblical hebrew not just a few months and the holy spirit woke me up one morning and he said i want you to teach matthew to be a man and I remember clearly the words that came out of my mouth. That's easy for you to say, because I didn't know how to be a man. I had no clue what it would even meant. Mm -hmm. And he began to show me in his word how to be a man. Tell the audience how you first, what your uh, relationship was like with your natural father. My father was, uh, like I said, he was a man among men. I... Uh, he did so many things right. He was a leader in our community, and he was so easy to look up to. Mm -hmm. But we grew up in a German household to where there was not much demonstrative. You know, um, I, I think I only saw my mom and dad kiss once. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, I always teased him. I said, I saw you pat mom on the butt one time and I, because I thought you were looking for a pliers, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did he find the pliers? <laughs> but uh, but anyway, and then I was used to sing uh, in in church, and I asked him to come and watch me sing. And I finished my song, and I was walking down the aisle, and my dad gave me the thumbs up and said, "I love you." And I was twenty three years old. Yeah. And I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget the emotions that came upon me, realizing what I'd been missing and why I was so anxious for his attention. And it really helped me then to understand my dad had been hiding this. And then it was right after that, that once that broke, that I was able to get more from him. And, mm -hmm. and then we began to grow more as, as partners than just father and son. And uh, 
I was able to teach my dad a lot of biblical concepts and things. But uh, this understanding of, uh, of a father telling a son of a love mm-hmm. just opened a great door for me. Yeah. It was, you uh, know, it was a great thing. Rachel reminded me, one of my six children was having difficulty in his life. The most difficult one it was for us to raise out of the six. And um, he was getting involved with drugs and stuff like that actually uh, worse than what I'm describing. But for the purpose of this podcast, let me said, uh, he was off the off the straight and narrow for sure and uh, really messing up his life. And I talked to a pastor uh, who uh, had a similar experience with drugs when he was younger. He was a black pastor and uh, he was a real feral child in his teenage years. And he says, if you want to reach your son, the only thing you have to say to him every day is I love you, son. And I did that for about a year. And finally, my son broke. And he just came to me because the words I love you from a father to a son, you could also sometimes say, which is really encouraging to a son, is I'm proud of you, son. You tell him you love him. You tell him you're proud of him. Boy, it it rocks his world. It does. You know, a father's validation is probably the greatest thing in any child. Yes. It's the number one thing that's missing today in our culture. And one of the two things that the father taught me immediately was to how to validate my son was through the use of two prayers. Mm-hmm. One was the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one, Deuteronomy 6 4. Mm-hmm. And the other was the ironic blessing. And to be able to pray those prayers over him, laying on of hands twice a day, hmm. when he went to bed, when he went, before he went to school, or when he was eating breakfast or whatever. Yeah. And um, those two prayers that we have found in the last ten years since I've been doing Call to Be Men are probably the most primary two ways to validate a child. Mm-hmm. Because they're they're both God given prayers. They're not something we made up or, or did I choose it? It's it's what He chose. And they're what's so amazing, Tom, is they are father prayers. Yes. They're from the father to the children. Right. And once I realized that Hebrew letters, especially speaking them in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, goes into my child who was made up out of those same Hebrew letters immediately changes them Mm -hmm. and of course we we do a practice on friday night where we get together with our congregation or family and and we pray over our children those prayers and then we pray over them they get a blessing and matthew lived like that for 18 years the power of words the power of words is life-changing we don't understand how much uh, how powerful the tongue is, and the reason why the tongue is powerful is because we speak words out of out of our tongue, and when we speak spiritual spiritual truth in the words that we speak, uh, with the authority that God gives us to speak them, it just changes the whole atmosphere. It just changes everyone because you're speaking spirit to spirit. Now you mentioned the Shema, and you told the audience what the Shema meant, and you said after that the ironic blessing. And I'd like you to share with the audience the ironic blessing. But before you do, I want to mention is uh, I had the experience of someone sharing with me the old Hebraic, uh, the ancient Hebrew 
understanding of the ironic blessing. And it was significantly different in a more powerful way uh, because it is an example of the groom kneeling down and on one knee and um, basically uh, putting a blessing on his bride. And it's even deeper, even deeper than the version of um, the ironic blessing that we take out of numbers. Is it, is it 522 or 225? Five, numbers five. Five, 522. Yeah. Do you know the, the current one? And do you also familiar with the old Hebrew? Well, we, we, we try to do English and Hebrew uh, because of, uh, you know, Hebrew language is called the perfect language. Sure. And so it's made up of 22 Hebrew letters. We're made up of those same 22 Hebrew letters. Mm -hmm. And so when we speak his words, they go directly into those children immediately. But not only their children, but it goes into their children's children's children. Yes. Who aren't even born yet. Right, and so that's what it is, and so, and so we say Yiva Erka Adonai, the Ishme Erka, Adonai Panavaleka, Venikuneka, Yisa Adonai Panavaleka, Veyasemleka, Shalom. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make His face shine on you and show you His favor. May Adonai lift up His face towards you and give you Shalom. Amen. That's powerful. Amen. So. Uh, <laughs> You actually spoke those words, I'm sure, as you said. You just told the audience by your own testimony over Matthew, your son. Yeah. And then you yeah. also were telling me a story about how that affected Matthew so significantly because you did that as his father. When he went and he went away to, the, I guess it was the military, was he? At boot camp, you were saying? Yeah, he, he was in boot camp. Now the, <clears throat> you know, Matthew's lived this, and he's been kind of a poster child for the rest of our congregation because everybody wants their kids to grow up like he did. And he's just been a great kid and, and um, just honors his parents and all the, does, he's not perfect, but, but he's, he does a great job. We, when he went off to boot camp, and of course we wrote letters every day because we couldn't use cell phones and, and uh, Facebook and all that stuff. And, and, but we each got a letter in the mail and mom got one, I got one. And, and I could see her on the corner where I read hers. And I'm reading mine, and I'm reading through it, just telling what's going on and that kind of stuff. And then it comes to a sentence that says, Dad, I need to ask your forgiveness. Now, we're very close. I mean, I know everything about this boy. He has struggled, what goes on. I mean, there isn't anything. And when he said, I need to ask for forgiveness, my brain is just going 100 miles an hour. What could this boy have done it's just, you know, that I didn't know about? Right. And, you know, and all these things. What horrible sin could he have committed? Yeah, I was uh, wondering. And then I read it and read, I read the sentence and said, Dad, please forgive me, for I should have spent one more hour with you. Mm. And Tom, it dropped me to my knees, actually. Mm. I have no idea that I could have had that much effect on my son yeah. to where he would do that. And uh, I've told that story many times and I've watched men and come to me later and go, I wish I had a son like that. Yeah. And, um, but it took a long time. There's a lot yeah. invested in being able to do that. It reminds me of a, a song that I, in the 1970s, 
that came out by Cat Stevens, which is yeah. cat, cats, cats in the, the cradle, cradle of the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. Right? Yep. And I it, know that it, song well. It ends at, uh, when he tells the story in the lyrics, he ends up saying, and my son was just like me. My son was yeah. just like me. And it was a sad thing in the song because the son was imitating the father and the father didn't, in that song, didn't have enough time with his right. son. And not having enough time with the son is, is so critically important to um, that son's life. You know, uh, we're leading up to this Father's Day. We're going to be presenting to uh, the audience that's willing to listen to us, uh, the people who buy the gifts of our uh, of our children's books 99% of children's books are, are bought by mothers and grandmothers but our our recommendation for cultural change is that the mothers and the grandmothers would buy the the books and give them to the dads and say it's a double gift i want you to give uh, this to you so that you will sit down and read this book to our children so that uh the mother gives the gift of the book, but the father gives the gift of time, time Absolutely. and attention to his children. If, if a father would just spend 10 to 15 minutes uh, a week uh, reading a substantive children's book to their children, it'll affect their lives forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that uh, has we've seen in 10 years of teaching this, teaching a course, we have an 11-week course. Uh, that we do online as well of uh, called to be men and and so one of the things that mostly women you know will read the book they'll buy the book they'll buy five or six copies and mm -hmm. give them to all the men, male members of their family yeah but here's what's so interesting is that if i can spend five minutes just five minutes with the, with the wife she'll her husband is going to take the course yeah. because she's tired of raising a little boy right She's tired of being the leader of the home yeah. and understanding what this course can do. If the man will apply himself, he can become the man that his wife desires. Well, he can become the father that his children need. It's absolutely incredibly necessary and needed out there um, in the world that we live in. Um, you mentioned before when we were talking that the biggest obstacle that you felt that prevents men from taking the course or even reading the book was fear. Could you address that with our audience for a moment? You know, that's a great, you know, such a, a great observation because that is the number one obstacle. Mm -hmm. uh, men are fearful because they get so put down on in our whole society because the examples of fatherhood have been taken away from us sure. and they don't know which way to go. You know, you and I grew up with John Wayne and father knows best and Ward Cleaver and, you know, maybe even our dad being manly men, you know, and this is how you run a family. But today you don't see that anywhere. Right. And with uh, the onslaught of 70% fatherlessness in our nation today, it's, it's a, a man doesn't know what to do. He's scared to go forward. Mm. And that's why he just needs some help. He just sure. needs somebody that just would, could you show me an example of how to do this? Mm -hmm. And being able, would you walk beside me? And this is where I have a lot of sons out there that I said, look, let, let's grab hands. Let, let me adopt you. Not I'm taken away from your dad, but, but let me adopt you. Let me, let me show you some things that your dad didn't know. He's not a bad dad. He's a great dad. Mm -hmm. 
He just didn't know. Right. And then he takes away the fear because now he has someone that can walk with him. Mm-hmm. Remember, people only fear is because of lack of instruction. When instruction comes, fear goes away. Uh, because then they see what's going to happen mm-hmm. and they're okay. Well, as as you know, scripturally it says perfect love casts out all fear. Yeah. So they have to sense the love first to even be able to take the step to be instructed. Because as, as you said before, I think I told you this before we were talking, I said, every time I asked a man whether he was afraid or did he have fear, I, comp- I don't think I ever talked to a man who admitted to having fear. They are all in denial. They don't have fear. And then if I change the word and say, well, are you worried? Oh, yeah, I'm really, really worried. Uh, do you have any anxiety? I got anxiety all the time. I'm like, I'm going into a depression from anxiety. So they'll admit to worry, which is a fear. They'll admit to anxiety, which is fear, but they won't admit to fear itself. <laughs> That's true. You know? Uh, yeah, and we're, and we're all guilty to a, to a point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but having that instruction and knowing what the father, knowing a father's heart is probably the biggest thing that we teach and that comes across in this. In, in our in our book because everything is about the father's heart and it's centered around the Sabbath mm-hmm. and that's where everything gets centered around and and people get to see the love that just pours out in that 24-hour time period and children are, are formed transformed mm-hmm. during that 24 hours it's it's an amazing amazing thing yes so a lot of the, I read the book, actually, Sped read the book, because I just got it yesterday. But in getting the book uh, and speed reading through it very quickly, I was, um, I'm sorry, surprised is probably not the word, but I was impressed. That's a better word. I was impressed with the practicality of it. It wasn't like you were out there talking about theory about stuff. You were, it's very practical. It's, it's based upon uh, biblical, uh, it has a Hebrew tone to it a Hebrew culture to it, but not Hebrew like the rabbis would teach in the Talmud. It's Hebrew coming out of the Bible. It's, it's a biblical Hebrew practicality. The Sabbath is, and, and, and the Sabbath preceded Judaism. I mean, I we also talked about this, that you also uh, practice the feasts and the biblical priests, feasts, I'm sorry, a priest, biblical feasts. And that um, a lot of people in uh, Christianity associate <coughs> those uh, Jewish feasts as being Jewish. And they're not Jewish. They, they preceded you. They're biblical. All the feasts are biblical. In fact, the Bible tells us even in uh, the millennium and past the millennium uh, into uh, the, the kingdom, these feasts will be celebrated. And they, they started before Judaism and they'll be there after Judaism. And it's not a tradition of men at all. And it's not just culturally Jewish. It is actually biblical. And Absolutely. You know, and that's probably one of the things when, you know, I was a minister for 25 years, like mm-hmm. I said. Mm-hmm. And then about 20 years ago, the Holy Spirit awakened me to biblical Hebrew. And I fell more in love with the Father in hours. Just, I mean, it was what my spirit was waiting for mm-hmm. that I felt that I saw a side of him that I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with him. I fell in love with Yeshua head over heels. And I didn't even think that was possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but anyway, that's what started. And that's where my love came for, for the book, was out of 
what the Father had done to me. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what it was about. Well, that's what started me on my in, in my journey and that pathway was about eight or nine years ago, I became a grandfather. And uh, now I think like I told the audience before, I had six children and 15 grandchildren, four in heaven, so 11 grandchildren on the earth. And the first grandchild was uh, Luke, which means light bearer, which is what the protagonist in all the books are about. But my, my mind, and my, I suppose more than my mind, my heart and my spirit began to shift even my prayer life began to shift from praying to Jesus to praying to God the Father. And different experiences I was having, I was having it with the Father, the Father's heart. One time I even talked to Jesus. I said, do you mind that I talk to the Father all the time instead of you? He goes, no, not at all. That's why I came. I, well, everything I told you about was about your Father. I want you to be connected with Father. And by the way, my Father and I are one. I, I'm in the Father. So don't so don't yeah. be concerned about you know your prayer life you know like, like uh, segregating my prayer life. I got to pray the Father and I got to pray to Jesus. And I got to pray the Holy Spirit. And you know, I have three different prayers. Oh, just pray to the Father, and we all get it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, I'm so funny because I have exactly, exactly that same that that was a problem to me for years. Mm -hmm. And then once once he shared with me and he said, "Nope, I'm one and the same." Just Bring it on. Bring it on. You know, so right. It was good. It was very good. And then he also, was, you know, what I did uh, on the cross and, and what I did for you, Tom, was to connect you with the Father. And that was what I, that was the whole purpose, but I connected you with the Father. Absolutely. That, that was our plan all along. Absolutely. See, and this is what men in our culture, and, you know, I was in... Um, talking with a pastor in Kenya just a week ago, and then last Saturday I was uh, in by Zoom in, uh, gosh, what country was it? Um, Guadalupe, no, Evelyn, what room? Uh, Uganda. I was in Uganda last Saturday by Zoom. Mm -hmm. And guess what problems they have? Fatherhood problems. Sure. Same thing. Doesn't matter where I go. I can go into the Spanish culture. I can go into the Chinese culture. We were in Singapore teaching this concept. Same thing. It's everywhere. Nobody is exempt. The enemy has ravaged fathers everywhere. You know, in the subtitle of your book called To Be Men, you say, what our Western society has stolen from men. It's not just a Western society. It's around the globe. And it's, yeah. it, specifically in the Western society, we see like the feminist movement, you see uh, communism, but you see evil from a satanic position trying to inculcate uh, these theories and philosophies that emasculate men and stop men from growing into men and stop men from growing and maturing into fathers. And uh, the three principles that God was showing me to promote is what we overlap each other a lot is is it's in the heart of the God, the Father, to protect, to provide, and to mentor or to teach what they know. They want to impart the next generation. And they do all three of those things out of a heart of love, with no fear involved. And um, you mentioned before about your son, and he shared everything with you. Um, one of the reasons why that happens is because you could say to your son, son, this is a judgment-free zone. Everything you share from me, I'm not going to judge you about. And that's the same thing that's in God the Father's heart. 
You know, the enemy tries to make us think that God the Father's got a punishment. He's got to have the gavel slept down and say, you know, you violated the Ten Commandments. You fornicated or you committed adultery or whatever you did. You stole something. And that the Father somehow is going to uh, pull his love back from us so that we have to uh, earn his love back through works, which we don't. It's a big lie. I mean, if, to the extent that the enemy can try to dupe us and fool us into believing we have to attain what we already got. We already have the relationship through Jesus. We already have a seat at God's table. We don't have to be goody goody two shoes or good boys or, uh, or good people. I don't care if it's boys or girls uh, to attain a seat at the table. He loves us just for who we are. He's never going to love us more than he loves us right at this very moment. We don't have to do anything to earn his love. I mean, those those are all biblical concepts. There's all truth in Scripture, and and to the extent that we don't believe that, we've got problems. Yeah. And that's why we have problems, <clears throat> because you look at all of our social ills. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's human trafficking, whether it's runaways, whether it's prisons, whether it's teen, teen sex, abortion. I mean, whatever it is, it all comes back to the father. Mm -hmm. It all comes back because of a void of the father in the child's life, mm -hmm. every one of them. And it's in the high 90%. It's not like 30%. They're all in the 90% of uh, a lack of a father, and that's what it was. And the problem comes is fathers don't know how. Mm -hmm. And so we have quite a quest is to educate parents, educate them. And we've got to find parents that want to be educated. Yes. Because I hear the cry of children. Sure. And and because I, I, I hear children in my in my spiritual ears, you might say, asking, "How come my dad doesn't pray for me? Right? How come my mom doesn't pray for me? Yeah. What's wrong with me? Right? And I hear that cry, and I right. wake up every morning in a war, and I'm I'm going after him. There's there's so much. I mean, first of all, you have absentee fathers, like in a lot of the inner cities, these just don't exist. They're just not even physically there. And then you have the other ones that you mentioned this in your book as well, that are present, physically present, but they're not there emotionally. They're not there to uh, to meet the emotional needs of their children and to, and the spiritual needs of the children, um, even though they're present. Because as you said, they don't know how. But in many cases, I think the purpose of this podcast is to present the concept of. Um, why you would want to be instructed because a lot of people like i said don't even want to be instructed they don't even if they're first of all in denial they don't have fear, <laughs> fear then why do i need to be instructed in this stuff because i don't you know but you've got to understand that they have to come to the realization that they're afraid and have the love of god the father overcome that fear and then to see what they lack and that lack of knowledge brings them to how do I understand what I'm supposed to do? It's like when Peter uh, in Lacks, when he when he began to speak in the book of Acts, the, when he told them what was actually going on and the, the people realized what had happened, the first question out of their mouth was, what must I do to be saved? Right? So before he could, was even preaching to them that they needed to be saved, they asked him the question. Right? And you really want your audience or you want the the people who will take your course and to read the book is to say, uh, Steve, what must I learn to be a father? 
They, 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 the question yeah. should be from them to you, not from you to them. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? They have to recognize the need and very much want uh, to have that knowledge for them to pursue it. Otherwise, you're like pushing on a string. You're trying to push something on them that they don't even know they need or have, or why do they want it? Exactly. Exactly. You know, we, uh, we're in our, we just finished our third lesson and we got about 16 people that are taking the class and about half of them came up to me afterwards and said, how is it that I got this old and didn't know anything? Yeah. I didn't know anything of how to be a parent like this. And I said, don't feel alone. I didn't know it either until the father had to sit me down and yeah. said, this is how I want you to do this. And it's all in his word. It's wow. all there. That's where I got it all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we we shared things about bar mitzvahs before they ordered, before we started this podcast. And I mentioned to you, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family, the oldest of eight children, uh, and I had a lot of Jewish friends. So I went to ten or twelve bar mitzvahs in my life. And my big takeaway from uh, the only takeaway I think I remember from those things when I was thirteen years old was um, my friends who were Jewish when they were bar mitzvahs. They said today. I am a man. And I, I always yeah. remember that. Uh, could you share with the audience your experience with bar mitzvahs and how that's affected the people that you minister to? Even the older ones that you said Even beyond 13. <laughs> the, the oldest man that we did was 83. Mm -hmm. And um, he went through the course. And about a week later, his wife called me and said, what did you do to my husband? And uh, she was kind of not mad, but she just, what, what, what happened? Yeah. And I said, why is that? He said, I have been waiting for this man to show up for the last 60 years of our marriage. And now he is that man. Mm -hmm. And we get that more often than not from a wife going, my husband is awakened. I see what he's doing now. Mm -hmm. And he's wanting to take control and, and be in that leader. And, um, and, that, and that's probably the biggest thing that it does because there's, there is chemical things that go on in a bar mitzvah. There's, um, there are three chemicals that are at the base of the brain. Dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine are logged in the base of the brain. And when you go through a ceremony like a bar mitzvah, mm -hmm. it releases those chemicals to the very frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. And it's a chemical change that you can actually feel. Wow, and that. so when those people say, I am now a man, they may have been just proclaiming because that's what they were told, but within 24 hours, they knew that they knew that they knew that they were a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. And many times a young boy at 12, 13, his voice will drop an octave wow. uh, within 24 hours. And so it's not just a, it's not just a little thing. It's, it's a chemical thing that goes on, but mm -hmm. what unlocks it is a bar mitzvah. Doesn't happen at a confirmation or a mm -hmm. going to the military or anything like that. What happens and to that's them spiritually? So vitally important. What happens to them spiritually, are. Steve? Absolutely, and it's a spiritual thing that unlocks a physical thing in the body, mm -hmm. and and people know that they're a man. I had a, I'll tell you a kind of a cute story. Two cute stories, real quick. One was my son, uh, eighteen years later. And I'm interviewing him with some other people about the Call to Be Men course. That's why I asked Matthew to be a part. I was not prepared for what my son had to say of the power of what that bar mitzvah did to him when he was 13 years old. Hmm. What it empowered him, what 
how he was encouraged every day of his life. He lives by that. He was given a promise ring, and 23 years later, he's still faithful to that promise to, to stay celibate, and and he lives that kind of a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I was not prepared for the for the emotional understanding that my son had at that moment that he kept all those years. Mm -hmm. And uh, another amazing. one is that we work a lot with Native Americans. We're close to two reservations. And I had a man that's taken the course three times. And he took it once with his son and then he once with his, his uh, father-in-law. And the first one by himself. But anyway, took it three times. And we got invited to a family picnic. And there was probably a hundred and some people there. And he asked, and, and this family picnic was a tribal thing that, that had gone on for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And and he said, can I share a testimony? Of course, he got the microphone and he said, I want to tell you something. I've been at this ceremony all my life since I was a baby, I was born at this. And he said, but I want to tell you something. And he started to cry. He said, for the first time, I came as a man. And he's like 64 years old. Yeah. For the first time, I'm a man. Mm. And I mean, everybody was in tears. It was absolutely incredible. Mm. And so That reminds me of a story I have to relate from my own life. Uh, with my six children, uh, my youngest son, uh, Samuel, uh, in his uh, 18th year, he was a senior in a uh, Christian school, and he had to give an apology for his faith to the headmaster and, and two other professors. This was before he entered college. Now, he was a very bright student, uh, ended up being number four in his class at Virginia Tech. So we're talking very good scholastic material. So they give him about 45 minutes to share, you know, his apology for his faith. And then at the uh, end of the whole thing, my wife and I are sitting in the, in the audience listening to his apology for 45 minutes. And they're asking him all sorts of questions and so on and so forth. And at the end of it, when it pretty much was done, uh, the headmaster says, hey, Samuel, he said, you know, you could, uh, you could be anything you want to be. I mean, you know, the world is your oyster. You're a very bright child. You're very well educated. Whatever you set your mind to do, you could be. What do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, I want to be a father. Oh, wow. And I did. it shocked me because I wasn't expecting it. And it was like, it just brought tears to my eyes. It even brings tears to my eyes right now when I think about it, that a child who's being raised in a family of six children, his goal in life was to be a father. How do you like that? that that's, that's incredible. Which reminds me of another story. <laughs> My son, I was, I was uh, kind of hired him out to work at another uh, farm, and they were doing weeds and all kinds of stuff. And this guy's a very wealthy, wealthy man. And I wanted Matthew to kind of learn some things, you know, about business from him. And, sure. And, uh, but he, he found it way harder, and he didn't like the atmosphere. And, he said, Dad, I just, I, I don't think I'm cut out for this, and would you come get me? And, and I said, son, but I, I want you to, you know, glean from this man. And I said, you can, you can kind of make him a hero, you know, to kind of learn from it, because he could really help you financially in learning some concepts. Sure. And, and he said, Dad, you're my only hero. Yeah. And 
dropped me to my knees. And uh, yeah. uh, when I realized, you know, what my son, what he saw in me. Sure. But that's only because of what the father's done in me. Before, yeah. before understanding all this, Tom, I was just a normal guy that screwed up all the time. Yeah. And uh, wasn't, wasn't. But it was then when I came in to honoring, understanding the Father's heart through biblical understanding, through Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, changed my whole life so much. It made me a man that God could trust with the child. You know, that's it's an amazing thing. We're coming to a point now, Steve, we're going to need to bring the podcast to a close. But before we do, I would like uh, to um, us to talk about or share with the audience. What would you like the audience to take away from this podcast? You know, I think probably the thing that I take try to get people to take away from what we've done is the experience and the, and the asking the father, show me how to be that parent that I need to be, that mm -hmm. I'm responsible for the next generations. Father, show me how to take your heart and deposit it into my children. Mm -hmm. Show me your ways. And that's probably the thing that, that I live, eat, sleep, and drink with. How do I be Yeshua to this next person? Mm -hmm. How do I be Yeshua to my son and my daughters? How do I be him to mm -hmm. them? And, um, that's, um, that's what I take away. That's great. But my, uh, the thought that comes into my mind is a prayer that God's put into my heart for these last eight or nine years. It's, uh, again, the theme is Malachi 4, 6, bringing the hearts of the fathers, the children, the children to the fathers. And my whole website, my whole existence of changing into media of different forms is all about connection. And when I pray in the morning, I say, Father, um, I want to have... Uh, be present with you and i enjoy walking out this day being present with you during this day and help me to connect the people i meet back to your heart what can i do what can i say that brings your heart to every person that i meet because it's the connection from the father to the people that is um that's it'll become my mission in life and uh it's something that our audience who's hearing this we would uh, encourage you to ask, to find the Father's heart. And once you find the Father's heart and find that own connection with yourself, what can you do to connect other people to the heart of God the Father? Amen. So we you know, the last verse that comes to me, Tom, is Jeremiah 6.16. It says, go and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. Yes. And then you will find rest for your soul. Amen. Go to the ancient paths. Amen. Amen. So we would like our audience to, the, uh, if you're interested in finding materials about this, uh, we're producing uh, media and it's all available in the Father's Heart uh, Media, the website, thefathersheartmedia.com. Uh, there's connections with the children's books. There is a uh, different paraphernalia that's there, um, but we would encourage you to uh, pass on these things because I come to the realization we're not really selling you anything as much as we want you to buy things as gifts. These are all gifts for you to give to someone else. Absolutely. And so we want to thank you for being gift givers. And we think this kind of material will positively affect uh, the lives of anybody you give it to for their benefit. So we want to thank you for that. And we want to appreciate um, everything that uh, you've done with us today.